0: who's got the first question let's start with israel please what are you hoping to accomplish there besides just another title defense thanks for saying that another title defense thank you you're a smart man
1: oh she's in the triangle there's a tap megan
2: anderson coming up large i'm one of the best in the world and i'm capable of a lot of things and i'm capable of a lot more so i'm excited to see what's next let's hear it Melbourne. your winner megan
3: anderson Let me just give a little suggestion to our friends in production here. We should, when we're interviewing John Morgan, will be our first guest. He's a very good uh, MMA journalist. And Megan Anderson. But when you're promoting the MMA journalist, don't have him interviewing Israel Adesanya because then it sounds like Israel Adesanya is coming in and all these people get their hopes up. Ah, the champ's calling in. Not that John Morgan is not a good call. I'm happy to talk to him. But you want it to be like, John Morgan, I get him saying something and cut off who he's talking to. Anyway, Jamie, thank you for joining us. Matt is off doing whatever it is Matt does. Hi. Nice to see you again, Jim. Do you know, in all the time I've known you, and we've talked quite a few times, I know you as Jamie English. I don't even know your last name. Oh, it's Crowder. I did know that. I've heard that. But you (laughs) didn't know it either, did you? He's just Jamie English, for obvious reasons. Are you still over at Henzo's? Yes, sir. We had Henzo in the other day. So you train train kickboxing. You you teach people kickboxing.
1: Yeah, I teach the Thai boxing, and there's an MMA program there that I'm in charge of, and I, I, I run that. Do you do jujitsu as
3: well? Yes. Oh, you do. Okay. I want to start taking it. Um, the jujitsu, the the idea of people sweating
1: on me is the only thing that keeps me from doing it. Yeah, it's definitely off-putting. That I agree. But you, it, do you not, get used to it? Yeah, and no, it's not so bad. If you do, it depends as well what you do. If you do gi, and um, with the you know the traditional uh, kimono, you can wear you can wear rash guard and a gi, and usually that soaks up the sweat, so you don't get a lot on you. But if you do no gi, then it's a little bit more sweaty. It would definitely be gi because I mean I I just literally. I don't ever want to be a good fighter. I just want to be able to stave
3: off a beating on the train for more than a minute. Like, that would be nice to avoid getting beaten for a minute. And then even
1: if I lose eventually, I want to at least put up a fight for a minute. I think that's an excellent choice of martial art. It is. You could definitely stave off some violence, for sure. How about kickboxing? That's good to help stave off a little violence. It definitely is. Um, if I had to choose between the two, it's probably blasphemy now, but I would definitely choose jiu You would? Yeah. Why is that? It's just, honestly, the for me... and this has been my experience the most surefire way of and there's no surefire right anything can happen an sure. altercation but if you get to grips with someone and most fights tend to get into a close range in a scuffle and um, just a small amount of direction has a huge impact on what can happen it does whereas striking is like there's a great deal of you know chance involved even at the highest level and you see that you know you'll see people have a you know a puncher's chance or a flash knockout but you you won't see, like, a, a, a flash gillotine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a good you, point. you got to know what you're doing.
3: But you very rarely do they say, you, you have he has a grappler's chance. You never hear that. No. You know? yeah. So did you see, uh, before we have uh, John call in, obviously a real boring fight uh, between <laughs> Dan Hooker and, wow, it Paul Felder. Dan Hooker? It was everything you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And when you watch that fight, doesn't it give you a little bit of faith And like, yeah, there is good judging. Like, it was such a close fight, and the judging stinks so badly in so many places. But uh, split decision, 48-47, I can absolutely, I thought Hooker did eke e- e- it out. I thought Hooker did deserve it, even though there was more significant strikes, more head strikes, more leg strikes by Felder. It seemed to me like Hooker did more damage. What did you think?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I do agree with that, actually. Um and, I, and I'm glad you said that about the judging Yeah. because um, sometimes emotions get carried away with judging and I understand that because it's an entertainment business so you should get excited but if, if someone want, wants to really think about what's going on in the fights, once you've calmed down and you can look at it with a steady head, you've got to really uh, have a look at the fight and see that, that was a very close fight and it's a subjective matter. So if you'd have given it to either guy, I would, I would, and I don't have a horse in the race. So I was like, yeah, that's fair. It was close enough that you could give it to either guy. I think it was two and two. And then you'd argue about, you know, one of the rounds.
3: Yeah. And when you look at it, like, okay, one judge made a decision that this round was Felder and that one was Hooker. You can go either way. It's when it gets into something like this, like uh, Dominic Reyes, John Jones, where that one ass gives it 49, 46. And it's like, look, I've never fought a round in my life. I could never judge. I knew that was not a 49-46 fight. Yeah. So when Jim Norton is going bad judging, it's really bad judging for me to notice it. <laughs> you know. So but anyway, I was I was happy to see the judging was really really good in this. And and Paul Felder uh there's just you know, he's impossible to knock out. I mean, the guy is just a, a tank. Uh, he really is one of my favorite people on the in the planet to watch.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's certainly doing what he's built to do, you know. Like he he knows his he knows his personality. He knows his attribute. His coach is phenomenal, um, and uh, I thought that it, they executed a very solid game plan. He didn't try to be somebody else. Yeah. He he shows up, and it's like, all right, beat me. Yeah. And it's hard because like he took a he took a bit of a hammer in early on, which he does, and you know he can. Sure. And then he weathers the storm, and then as the his opponent in this case, um, Hooker got a little bit tired. That's when he started standing still a bit more, and that's when he got hit more. And it was a, for me, it was a nice, um, like, playoff. Okay, now let me see if you can take what you've been dishing out. That's a tough way. We have John coming on soon. That's a very tough way to
3: be, too, when you're like, all right, I'm going to start slow. I'm going to let you fucking punch yourself out on me, and then come round three and four, I'm going to get you. Yeah. That's, that's a, Paul, Paul Felder is like a, a tough, he was an actor at one point. He's just like like one of those animals from Philly. He's a fucking nightmare. He's every guy in a bar who, like, if you look at him wrong, you're like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. He's every Philly nightmare. So it's not surprising that he is virtually, he fought with a broken arm against uh, uh, Mike Perry. That's correct, yeah. Hey. There he is. Hey, how you doing, John? Hey,
0: hey guys. It
3: was uh, Where are you?
0: I am uh, at the Mandalay Bay, I'm inside the MMA Junkie Radio Studios here in Mandalay Bay.
3: Oh, okay. I didn't realize you did, uh, I guess you, you're out of Vegas all the time. Is that where your regular studio is?
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually live here in Vegas.
3: How long have you lived in Vegas?
0: Man, about uh, 12 years now.
3: I would find living in Vegas, I, I would probably have problem. Like, is it hard for you to focus? Because All the fights go through there, yeah. but you know, there's other activities in Vegas which are a great deal of fun.
0: Yeah, man, I always say, listen, if if you've got a gambling addiction, this is not the place for you, man. When you can walk into your grocery store in the morning and, you know, buy a half gallon of milk and sit down and play some slot machines, man, you gotta you gotta have some self control.
3: Have you gotten caught up in any of the gambling? Have you enjoyed any of it?
0: You know, I don't, man. You know, I don't even I don't even gamble on fights. I mean, it's not illegal or anything like that. I mean as journalists we can do that, but I just feel like it it makes me look at the fights different, man. I'm trying to have a you know, an, an unbiased point of view. And if I got some money attached to a guy, I can't separate myself from that money, man. i start taking a look at it a certain way. So, no, not me. The uh, Unfortunately, the 24-7 access to frosty beverages is, is my bias, to be honest with you.
3: Yeah, and isn't it weird, too, when you start uh, interviewing, the more fighters you get to know and the more you talk to, the harder it becomes to have an investment against any of them because most of them are nice guys. So when you start to like someone, it's like, like I, don't, I, I was hoping Felder would win just because they're both such good fighters, but I've never interviewed Dan Hooker. So it was like, I was happy to see Felder do so well because eh, I have an attachment to him because I've talked to him. So it's hard to root against these guys once you get to know
0: them. Yeah, you know what I, you know what I found? It's easy when, when breaking down fights, I think it's easier for me to break down fights of like guys on the prelims they are just kind of making their way to the UFC because you're really just looking at their skill set and what you've seen on tape and what you think their game is. And as you get to know people, man, I mean, whether you have a real relationship with them or not, you end up kind of getting this emotional attachment to them. Like you said, like, like this past weekend, man, Paul Felder, Dan Hooker, both such great guys, man. It's, it's almost difficult to, to separate yourself from those connections as you look at it.
4: It
3: really is because uh, you you start to feel bad picking against the guy. Like, I'm a, I'm, I, this is why I'm not a good gambler. Because I, and Jamie, I don't know. Do you know Jamie English, uh, Jamie Crowder, whose last name I just discovered? Even though we're actually friends, you guys know each other. Um, Jamie, he, he yeah, teaches. B- oh, you do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know you know who he is. Oh yeah. Uh, but I bet with my heart. Like I'm I'm not a good gambler. I, I bet like if it's Vegas, if it's, the, if it's football, I bet with the team I like. I'm a shit gambler, so I would never be able to. pick. I suck at picking fights. I stink.
0: Yeah. You know what's funny is we didn't used to do picks on MMA Junkie. and We started doing it a couple years back. And honestly, we, we just never really wanted to do it because you hate going and interviewing a guy realizing like, hey, yeah, you know, I picked against you last week or whatever. But we we started doing picks and I thought, to be honest with you, nobody would even notice that none of the fighters would look at it. I swear to God, the first week it was Tyron Woodley. We were over in Macau and I was asking him a question after his big win over Dong Young Kim. I'm like, hey. You know, your boss is Dana. Is right there. He says you choke in big fights. Can you tell him now that you don't? He said, "I know what I can tell you. I know you picked the wrong guy." And I was like, "Oh, come on, man!" So <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, they look at that and they see it. And then, uh, but man, listen—you just got to go with what you can and, and, and do it to the best. That's what's fun about this sport, right? I mean, even the best of us that know the sport in and out are probably picking it like. 60, 65%, man. Anything can happen in this sport. That's what makes it so damn fun.
3: It's crazy how that happened. And Matt Sarah, by the way, who is a snitch, we had uh, could we, Derek Lewis. If, if I remember the uh, Roy Nelson fight, I remember thinking that Nelson won that fight. And again, I was at the fight, so I, I, can I go back right now and, and give you round-by-round? Round? No. But I remember thinking Roy Nelson won that fight. And uh, so he made me tell that to Derek Lewis while we had him on. He's like, who'd you think when I had to do it? And Derek didn't care. But it really is embarrassing when you have to admit that you thought a guy lost a... Like, I thought that Reyes won that fight against Jones. Uh, What did did you think about that? And what do you think about the situation? Jamie and I were just talking about the judging.
0: Ah, man, it's tough, man. I mean, gosh, you know, you mentioned the the Reyes-Jones fight. Now it seems like we're right back there again this weekend. I mean, I actually ended up scoring that fight Uh, For Dan Hooker, but I mean, I understand the people that had it for Paul Felder. I mean, judging is just so difficult right now. Um, To me, the thing is, you know, we talk about systems and what else can we put in place. And to be honest, I think the system can work. I just feel like we need—I want to say—better educated judges and, and judges that are continuing to better themselves. And. You know, let's let's see that we're having constant improvement, constant education, constant discussion to get better. You know, where is that? Is is there is there somebody that's monitoring the judges and 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 evaluating how they're performing and that sort of thing? So, you know, the 10 point must system, I'm okay with it. I I don't get half points if we're not even getting the round winners right. Why would we introduce half points? Uh, The open scoring idea? I don't even necessarily really love that. I mean, I think what we have can work. I just, I just want to see the judges continue to educate themselves and continue to demonstrate that they're trying to better themselves. You
3: know, the open score, I think they're going to try am it. Am I right to say Kansas City is where they're going to try that? And, and you know, right. I think it was somebody on Ariel's show that raised a great point, or it might have been him, that it's the only sport where you don't know the score until the end. Like every other com- sport, it's just combat sports. For some reason, it's a big secret. And I know that that builds up anticipation in the audience. But I would, I want to see how that works. I want to see if a guy knows he's down two-nothing, does he handle that third round a lot different? It's obviously gonna change the dynamic of fights.
0: I, I agree with that, and I'm glad that we're at least trying it. I think that, you know, trying something to see if it works. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'll give you the opposite. Let's go back to like the Diego Sanchez situation the other day. Let's say a guy gets fouled in the third round and he knows he's got two rounds in the bank. What, what, what motivation does he have to continue fighting at that point? If he says, oh, man, this growing shot's a little too much, or, man, that eye poke, I just out," And I'm not saying the guys would take the easy way out. I mean, I know the athletes in the sport, man. They're, they're some of the most dedicated and, and competitive people out there. But, I mean, listen, if, it, if you know you're up two rounds to none, and, and you know that, you know, if you say, I can't continue, you're guaranteed a victory. I mean, that's almost a smart decision at that point, right?
3: I mean, yeah, I guess it, it's like uh, you you weigh the options. What is more likely to happen? One of these guys taking an eye poke and taking the easy way out with a two or or say uh, or three uh, to one round advantage or a judge fucking up. And, and, and my again, a judge is fucking up. Uh, you can't avoid. But I like the idea of the fighters. knowing. that's a good point. Um, but again, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to mention the Diego fight too. That I think he was down two nothing in the third round, but his coach told him, I, I believe at one point you won the first round, and I don't think I'm misquoting. It. I thought he said that to him, didn't he say that to him? And and, and I don't think Di- I don't think Diego won that first round at all. I thought Diego lost that first round, and had he known he was down two nothing instead of thinking maybe it was one one, he might have faced uh, Michalpehata a little different in the third.
0: It's, it's possible. And you're, and you're right. I mean, listen, at least we're, we're trying something new. Like I said, I mean, I, I kind of have concerns about it, but I mean, I, we can't say that for sure until we see it in action. Right. So, yeah, I I do. I applaud the Kansas Commission uh, for saying, let's try something sure. new, see what happens. It's not it's not necessarily a permanent change. And, and we'll see how it goes from there. What do you think, Jamie? I mean, you fought.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the very valid points being mentioned there about perhaps people being tempted to like take a way out if it's if it's in their favor the only way i've really understood it or thought about the the situation being where they don't reveal the scores into the end is because it's an entertainment it's a game of entertainment people want to build up that anticipation of what you think as opposed to what you know and so when it comes to the last round it's still all to play for really in in theory anyway and um when you do reveal it at the end, there's like some crescendo, there's some like big announcement. What If you give the scores away every round, by the time the last round comes, generally when that round finishes, if it does finish, if both athletes finish the fight, then there's no big reveal at the end. Everybody knows who's won.
3: They do, yeah. I mean, that that's the downside. But the idea of a guy being down... Can you imagine if you went into that? F- what what a what a I mean again, Jones in the fifth was fucking incredible. The fact that he can still do that in the fifth round, yes. Uh, after Reyes was as good as he was, shows you why Jones is the champion. Like even though I thought Reyes won, to see Johnny get any decision, uh, I, I can't really complain about it. But can you imagine how different that fifth round would have been? How badly he would have been almost desperate for a knockout. To me, that's you're going to get very exciting final rounds from the guy who's down.
0: I agree. I guess the biggest thing too that I would point out as well is okay, let's. You know, let's say we like this open scoring. It still doesn't change the fact, are the judges picking the right person? That's the biggest argument, right? It's like, hey, are they scoring it right? So I think that's the one thing to remember, too, when we talk about this open scoring. Hey, maybe we like the idea so that fighters can be aware, hey, I think a mistake was made aware, but it still doesn't fix the problem. It's just kind of a Band-Aid to address it temporarily, you know, so that people know in real time what the score is. And maybe that's a positive, but it still doesn't fix the fact that I think some of the judges are just picking the wrong guy at time.
3: I think you're right. And and I do think there has to be like some way for them, like if they suck so badly at their job consistently, they're out. Like, I mean, I don't know why they, they, there's no one sitting there going, you've made five awful decisions in a row. I mean, you know, 17,000 people saw it differently. The announcer saw it differently. The other judges saw it. Yeah. There's got to be some common sense with it. Like if you're picking... uh what was it? The th- whatever that one judge. and I keep going back to that guy because to me it was such a glaring uh, sin. Was thirty twenty seven? Uh, and he, I think he did that on on two different fights. He picked thirty twenty seven, and it didn't. It just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Joe Solis is the guy's name that you're yep, thinking of, you but go. I agree with you. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe a national overseeing body, something along those lines. But I look at like other professional sports, other professional sports, and, and I don't know it exactly, but my understanding is. You know, the officials are kind of graded on a, on a game-by-game basis into how they perform, you know. and Why can't we do that with, with the officials here? You know, the, the referees, the judges, how did you perform? Give them a grade. And, you know, the higher that the, you have that grade over the course of months and years, you know, you draw the top assignments at that point. And if you're lower, then, you know, maybe there's some re-education. So I know it would mean a, a ton of work and a ton of effort. And I, and I know that's not necessarily there. But, yeah, some accountability, I think, would be would be really nice and some transparency where we can see it all.
3: Yeah, I agree. What do you think of? Uh, I don't ask both of you guys this. Uh, I, I, you know, I was, I kind of wanted to see uh, Adesanya Costa. I definitely get why he's fighting Romero because again, I mean, I mean, how how long is you all going to be able to fight for? He's he forty one. Uh, I mean, it's a fight now. I'm very much looking forward to. What do you think about that fight?
0: I'm fired up about it, man. Any any chance we get to see Israel Adesanya fight, man? i I man, I think this guy is the new superstar in the sport, uh, man. His style, like the way he fights, is incredibly entertaining. Um, and, of course, you know, on the microphone, he's great. I mean, hell, he's got the walk-ins down to, to a science now where he's entertaining there. I mean, it's just fun. So any chance we get to see, I- I'm down. I will say it's, it's a little concerning. I mean, you, look, Yoel Romero's a beast, as you said. He's not going to be around forever. So, so give him this big opportunity as well. Uh, but it's, it's concerning, right? I mean, we got Jose Aldo coming off a loss, getting a title shot as well. Now, I technically, I thought he won that fight, so I get the argument there. But, yeah, this, this trend of giving guys, you know, coming off losses, title shots, it's a little concerning, but you know, on a case by case basis, I get it. There's nobody else really available right now. Paulo Costa, the 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 bicep isn't quite ready, so I get it. But yeah, I, I don't want to see this become a trend where we're rewarding guys coming off losses and title shots.
3: You're right. And it also comes down to a lot of times if they switch weight classes too, uh what 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 what, yeah. what uh, weight is Jose getting that shot in? Is it one thirty five?
0: 35,
3: yeah. Yeah, and that's probably what it is. These guys are switching weight because, I mean, for some guys it's natural. Usually when they fight heavier, it's natural, though. Uh, And and other guys are are just kind of uh, uh, just getting it because they've changed divisions and it's a more exciting matchup.
0: Yeah, I get it, man. It's name value. I mean, listen, it it turns out that the fight that Jose Aldo is getting is is in Brazil, his native country. I mean, I'm sure that helps. Look, the UFC's a business, right? They got to sell tickets. They got to drive interest. And those big names, they mean something. So, you know, all those things come into play. It's, it's, you know, this is a different sport, right? I mean, there's entertainment as well. This is we, we all get it by this point, right? It's not just wins and losses and merits. I mean, it's about, you know, what kind of interest you drive, what kind of, you know, dollars can you generate at the box office. Well, I get it, man. It's, it's going to happen from time to time. It's, it's an imperfect system. I just, I just hope it doesn't become the norm. You know, it's the exception, rather.
3: And how did you get into what it is? Your, what did you do before this? Did you ever train or were you just like, I think we asked John Anakin. I think he's, just, he's a really great sports announcer and, and MMA became another sport that he got involved with uh, for you. Was it sports in general or was it always this one?
0: Yeah, no, listen, I, I used to train. It's, it's, it's been a while. I'll, I'll admit I need to get myself back in the gym. But uh, no, listen, When I, when I was a kid, man, it was funny. I grew up watching professional wrestling and I was about seven or eight years old and realized it was fake. And I was like, well, damn it. I thought this was cool. You know, and now I know it's fake. And, and then, and this was, this was pre UFC era. It was actually Guy Vester, man, kind of a legend of the sport. He was opening a gym in Dallas where I grew up and it was a kickboxing gym. And I went in there and he had a, a tape of Muay Thai playing from, from Thailand. And, and I, and I watched it for the first time. And I was like, Oh my God, this is what a real fight looks like, you know? And it just, man, it blew my mind just what they were doing. And so right away, man, I, I, was, I, was, I was hooked. Guy was such a, a great, you know, role model as well, a great figure in the Dallas community, remains so today. Um, and that got me hooked on it. And so then when mixed martial arts came around, you know, the early days of it, you know, Pancras over in Japan, like I, I thought that was amazing. Of course, the UFC was growing. And um, so anyway, just it always interested me. And then I, I wanted to be a sports journalist. But of course, back in those days, I mean, I, I didn't honestly, I didn't marry the two together. It never even occurred to me. That this was an industry, man. It was a spectacle back then. That's all it was. It was just a hobby on the side. Um, but fortunately, man, I you know I happened to pick the 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 right industry and the right sport to love because over time it became accepted and uh, you know it's grown into the, the juggernaut that it is today. Where you know people like yourself are involved in it. And uh, man, just just fortunate that I was able to kind of marry my two passions together.
3: Yeah, I got in, I got into this in a, in a weird way because I was a fan, and I you know I know Joe for so many years. We would interview fighters. Um, you know, guys, would come through. and We would always have fun having them on, and I enjoyed having them on. And then the more I talked about it, I'd always have fun with it. And and Dana eventually said, "Hey, we're going to do something," and, and it just kind of happened. Like you know, he certainly wasn't looking for an MMA analyst when he hired me. It was you know because Matt's like the analyst, and I'm a comedian. He just liked that odd kind of coupling. But I'm glad I fell into it because I get to watch all the fights yeah. for free.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the plus side. Right there. No, it's great. I mean, I think that's I think that's what drives people to it, man. It's the personalities of the sport. I mean the. The men and women that are involved in the sport, man, I mean, they're some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. And I think it's, it's not rare. You know, it's, it's so funny. I mean, we think of, you know, the way the sport started. It was like barroom brawlers going at it or whatever. You think about Tank Abbott or whatever back in the day. I mean, that's what you thought of when you thought of a cage fighter. But now, I mean, listen, man, you're talking about some, you know, educated people, kind people, some of the, like I said, some of the nicest, most respectful, you know, pleasant people that you'll ever be around. They just dedicate themselves to this to this fantastic craft.
3: Yeah, I like. Uh, what do you think of Usman uh, Masvidal?
0: I, you know, I, I I like that fight. I do. I'm, I'm happy for Masvidal. That he's getting a title shot, man. I know that. Uh, you know, the B.M.F. belt. That's a title as well, and it's it's incredible the rise that he's had. Right, this uh this uh overnight 15 year sensation. Yeah. Right, the guy's been grinding. Uh, Behind the scenes, and now all of a sudden, everybody knows. So I'm happy for him; that he's getting this opportunity. I will say, man, it's a tough matchup. Stylistically, it's a very, very tough matchup. I think one of the toughest in the division for him. Um, but certainly, if anybody can do it, it, it it's him. So uh, I'm, I'm psyched up for this one as well. Hopefully, we'll, uh, you know, we'll keep these two away from each other up until the time it's time to fight. Uh, we'll keep their managers away from each other as well until it's time to fight, and then, uh, and then we'll get this thing done.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that yeah, you mean that's a tougher matchup for Masvidal, right?
0: I think, so. I, I think so. I
3: agree with you, and I was surprised. And again, this shows you how I know I know nothing about fucking business or the sport because I immediately thought after uh, Connor and Cowboys ends in the first, and after uh, Masvidal looks so good against Nate Diaz, who also looked good. I'm like, it's got to be Connor Masvidal. That's another. Um, but uh, Dana wants uh, Habib Connor too, and I guess I get that. So probably a bigger fight, but for a non-title fight, Masvidal against Connor is a huge fight.
0: I gotta say, man, it, it go like you just said. Business it goes back to what we were talking about earlier because I'm right there with you, and I'm telling you, man, from the comments I was reading social media, I think fans are right there with you too, man. Connor and Masvidal to me, that was the fight to make. Man. It would be great, and I look Connor Habib too. Yeah, it's gonna be a, a, a global sensation. There's no question about it. But I mean, first we got to get through April. You know, we got to get that fight sure. done first, and man, it's, it's such a tough stylistic matchup for Connor too, man. I mean. Never doubt Conor McGregor, right? I mean, that guy shows up in the biggest situations. But, man, that is a tough, tough style matchup. So, yeah, to be honest with you, I would have liked to have gone that way as well. But – You know, I guess the flip side is now, you know, Mazidal does get that title shot, and that's pretty cool for him because that usually means new contracts, you know, big money, and uh, he certainly deserves it, man. He's he's committed his life to this thing. He does,
3: and I also like the idea of maybe Ferguson. I mean, look, if if Habib loses, depending on how and in what round do they have to do a rematch, but I think that Conor fights the winner of that. Conor Ferguson is a fight that I would love to see. I mean, Gaethje Conor is the one I really want, but that's not going to happen. But uh, uh, Conor Ferguson is also a a great fight, so maybe it is smarter for him to wait.
0: Yeah, no, that's a fight. And that's a fight. Remember, they were under the same management group for a long time. So, I mean, I think that, you know, Paradigm wisely tried to keep their two big lightweight superstars away from each other. So I think that was a fight that really never felt like it was on the table. But you're right. If Tony Ferguson wins, man, him and Connor would be great as well. There's a lot of exciting matches right now at lightweight for sure. I, I just can't wait for Brooklyn. I'm knocking on wood, man. We know that fight is falling apart. Let's not even talk about it. It's going to happen. We're going to see it, man. I'm, I'm excited for Habib and Tony Ferguson.
3: Uh, yeah, so am I. I want that to happen very, yeah. very badly. Uh, what's the date on that fight? April 18th, it I is believe. Yet, is okay. that right? Like,
0: like, yeah, I yeah. think so,
3: yeah. Uh, well, listen, man, it's good talking to you. And uh, you're really great at what you do. Uh, MMA Junkie is awesome. Yeah, and, uh, you know, thanks for coming on. We'd love to have you on again. And, uh, you know, we, we look at your, your uh, site all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, guys. It means a lot. And, yeah, man, anytime. I'm always happy to talk to MMA. I'd so love to do it again sometime.
1: All
3: right, John. Thanks a lot, buddy. Talk thanks, to you John. soon. Take care, mate.
0: See, see you, fellas.
3: MMA Junkie. Uh, everybody knows that, though. No, Tell yeah, people what they already course. know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Brilliant.
3: Uh, every time there's an MMA headline, it's usually it's usually him or Ariel. Yeah, let's be real honest. Yeah, Matt and I are not headline grabbers. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Hurts me a lot. Um,
1: but you are grabbers. What's that? You are grabbers.
3: Grabber, yeah, just out of headlines. No, exactly. of each
1: other's uh, asses. <laughs> <laughs> Big reveal.
3: Jimmy, <laughs> Matt will be very displeased with that. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> So yeah, we talked about the, the the judging. Now Megan Anderson is very uh, very interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to her too. She has a fight coming up. What is exactly the date of her? Is it is it this uh, Saturday? Saturday? She is fighting this Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so hard now without my fucking eyesight because I literally <laughs> used to just be able to look down at the paper, and in the last few months it has gotten so bad. And the fact that I have. Uh, a, a, a tape around my glasses Is there anything that says Nerd Non-fighter <laughs> Like glasses With scotch tape around them I really look like an asshole It's a qualifier like. What's that? It's a qualifier It really is I'm, I'm, I'm In the nerd world <laughs>
1: Yeah Now do you train nerds Or do you train average people Or is it only fighters? I'm about to insult All my <laughs> clientele um, I train everybody Yeah um, I, I, Most of the people I train Are people who just Want to learn martial arts And that's my favorite thing You know um, I think we talked about it before. It just makes such a difference for people, and I see it. It does, yeah. Absolutely. How long does it
3: take if you're taking kickboxing to get like some confidence, like not in a match, but
1: just in real life? Um, I, it depends on how often you do it and you know how serious you are, but um, it wouldn't take long for you to be. I think it's addictive, you know. A few months, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, again, just a little bit of knowledge can go a long way.
3: And jujitsu, though, it seems like. Matt always talks about the carotid artery, and it does seem like no matter how high somebody is, no matter how aggressive they are, if you stop the blood from getting to the brain, they can't do anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's science, you To know. choke somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So you could just
3: choke somebody if they were hassling you
1: on the train? I mean... Yeah, if you got the knowledge, you know. It, it, it obviously, it depends on who you're dealing with in terms of what they know. Well, yeah, if it's Fabricio for <laughs> it's bad. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> fucking bad news. Yeah, i will just take a beating and get off the train.
3: <laughs> yeah, but I think that's why I want to do. It. I think that's why a lot of people do it. You just—I was watching. Uh, it's funny. There's this giant. There's this controversy now between—I um, don't know his last name—Josh. It's uh, uh, oh, oh my god, Diego Sanchez's trainer. Oh yeah, who yeah. was in the background when we interviewed Diego? Uh, Diego, we we had on. He talked. Um, and his trainer was right there in the background, which we didn't know. And uh, they have an interesting relationship. He's he's like looks at him like a mentor now. Personally, I don't know the relationship. It seems to me like he just kind of caught Diego at a, a dip in his life, which happens sometimes. You go through these mental times where you need something. And I yeah. think he, said he was going through a divorce. So then the person you meet that makes you feel better, you feel like might be saving you. Yeah. Um, and you tend to sometimes we, we put a lot of emphasis on these people and sometimes we put overemphasis on them. So that's the only guy I believe who's training him. So Rogan has been kind of, uh, you know, talking about what the hell is he doing. And so this guy uh, said that, you know, Joe is slandering him, which he's not slandering you. He's giving an opinion based on, on what he's seeing. He's not slandering. Him. He's not saying you're a terrible person. Right. He's just not liking what he's seeing. Um, and they were showing uh, this guy fighting back against Joe and like, kind of saying, hey, um, and they showed Joe mocking some of his videos but then they showed doing, Joe doing kickboxing I'm like fuck that looks like it's really good to do yeah. kicking pads yeah. feels good right absolutely it's a long way to go it was a
1: long way to go to tell my I watched Joe kickbox for a minute <laughs> <laughs> gives a shit <laughs> who gives a shit Jim uh, no but you're right it's a very different dynamic than Jiu Jitsu it's a different feeling when's the last time somebody hassled you Do you ever get hassled? Because you're such a a mild guy,
3: like a nice guy. You you know, you carry yourself like a very soft, which those are usually the worst. Like you're probably
1: the first guy to pick up a hammer in a problem. (laughs) Actually, I carry one regularly. Um, It's funny you should mention it. Never, ever do I get any problems. And a few weeks ago, um, somebody just, I don't really know what happened because I was just minding my own business and somebody barged into me near the subway and um, decided that uh, I was the worst person in the world and was being threatening. But, you know, like, I'm not. Naive. How did you handle it? I'm not naive. I've, you know, I come from Liverpool. It's like I've had a few problems, like you know, in the past, where like people try to test you, and that's what he was doing. It's just a, for most, for people like that, it's all mouth and it's all front and it's, you know, a lot of times there's no real danger. Um, of course, the guy could have just stabbed me to <laughs> death. On some sure. Point. So I'm also not stupid like that. So I kept my distance. I, you know, um, as he was standing in front of me, I lined him up for a few things I could have done to him, but he didn't really. Did Pressure. you say anything to him? No, I just told him I wasn't an idiot, and uh, you know, not to keep coming forward. And he didn't. And it, he was mouthy, and once he said what he wanted to say, I smiled. He walked away. I walked away. And that was it. Yeah. Well, did you feel nervous during that confrontation? No. Well, well,
3: well. Look, somebody's <laughs> out having a great time, while we are <laughs> slaving in here. I What's know? up, buddy?
4: Oh, that's so delicious. What are you <laughs> I'm drinking? Having- I'm- I only see Jimmy's left arm. There you go. Hi, Jamie English. Hey, what's up, man? Hi, everybody. Hey, guys. Um, Yeah, I'm having an almond ecstasy. I have problems with that word. Ecstasy. I'm having an almond ecstasy uh, protein shake.
3: Oh, Oh. that's the name of the shake. I
4: could have have looked that out. That's not really breaking news. Hey, what about Jimmy Cruz fucking Kimura?
3: It was beautiful. You know, we were going to talk about that, Oh yeah, uh, but we did not. He looked tremendous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness.
4: Um, uh, Jamie English, did you see that Kimura?
1: Yeah, it was like a jujitsu lesson one-on-one.
4: I mean, it was, so, it was beautiful. And first of all, what about his wrestling? His, yeah. His flowing with the takedowns from one to the other. You think he's not taking them down. He's putting them down. He's following them across the cage. I was very impressed with Jimmy Groot not just because he got that fucking Kimura, but that Kimura was devastating.
1: Yeah, once it was behind his back it was all over. I like that um, I liked that when he was on the fence he was kicking his legs out. That was like I think he's doing t- saying that yes. one of his yeah, one of his coaches is a judo guy you could see that was coming in because he was kicking the legs out and that's what the judo lads do it was very clever. Yeah,
4: I thought, I thought that. I want to watch that again because yeah. he kept doing that. And at the very least, it was just disrupting his base. Yeah. But at the best, it was a clean takedown. So right, yeah. I was so impressed with him because we know he's got power in his, in his strikes too. So Yeah. he's a well-rounded dude and he's a young guy.
3: Yeah, he's not ranked. I'm looking right now as we talk, Matt. I don't I don't believe he is ranked. Well,
4: after that fucking Kamora, he should be.
3: <laughs> what did you think of the main event, guys? Um, I mean, really, it it, it was everything that you thought. It was everything. You know, look, Felder, it seemed like... I was listening to the corner advice, and uh, I thought that they gave him such good corner advice about... Uh, not throwing big first, like get in and then throw like, cause he seemed like he was throwing big punches early and missing. But I think they were telling him like, make that your second and your third punch. It just seemed like they were giving him very specific advice, which just as somebody who's never fought in my life, it seemed to make sense like to get him in, like throw those big punches. Once you throw a, a little bit of a shorter
4: one in. Yeah. I think Duke Rufus, I was thinking about that too, because I, I remember just, I, I was just watching it just now. And um, Duke Rufus, He's so specific with the instructions. I really like that. He really has a way of getting through to his fighters. And it's very specific. From not the outside leg kick, the inside leg kick. Don't try to hurt him with the first two. Throw the first two to three to four. Then hit him with the fifth, the yeah. fifth and sixth. So, I mean, he was very specific. And it might have made the difference. I know Hooker got the decision. Which I wasn't like... It wasn't terrible. It was a close fight, man. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the, the fight stats are off, but like the punches were like uh, close to like the significant strikes or something. Was like like close to like a difference between seven strikes or something. Yeah. In one in one like, area,
3: I think Felder had like fourteen more significant. But then when you break it down by head and leg strikes, it was it was very close.
4: I mean, listen, a great fight. Um, you know, you get a little emotional as a dad hearing him talk about his four-year-old. That was nice.
3: Oh, did you get choked up? Yep. Yeah, he says four-year-old misses him when he's gone.
1: Yeah.
4: Well, I was getting a little choked up. I don't got a little tiny black heart like you, Jimmy, <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, Jimmy, I'm sorry. I know you, you did didn't even know black. if I. You Jimmy, didn't. Even... First of all, first of all, I miss you. You don't have a black heart. I Why miss would you I, too. I do that? <laughs> well, you didn't even know if I
3: choked up. Ah. I might did have choke choked up. What's did that? You? No, <laughs> no, it was, I was really, it was hard watching Felder. Cause Felder is such a, a, a tank and to see him get a little emotional, of course. Yeah. Makes you like,
4: Oh, makes you a little sad. I'll tell you right now, man. Talk about great endurance. He was, listen, he was going forward. The, uh, the Irish dragon. It yeah. was awesome. It was a great fight. Great fight. Um, I would, uh, as a fan, I would like to see Paul Felder stay in the game.
3: Me too. Yeah,
4: he's. I mean, you know, I say it a lot with certain guys I like, but it definitely holds true here. Where he's never in a boring fight. No, always he's always going forward. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, he's a hell of a fighter, and, and they don't come any tougher. So, I really, I, I, I think, uh, I think he's an amazing fighter, and I think Dan. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right this about. I'll tell you this about Dan Hooker. He's not looking for easy fights. If you heard him, who he's calling out next?
1: Yeah. Who
4: did he call out next? Justin Gaethje. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's a, a tr- an incredible fight. Yeah, that's on, an incredible man. fight.
4: He's going. He's going for all the uh, the beef. White. He's on a mission. So I like that.
3: He really is, and and he's one of those guys, like I guess, like a, a Gregor Gillespie or other guys that are not at the exact top of the heap. That are so or or. or uh, uh, they're so uh, a, a dynamic and exciting that people want to watch them fight. That's a great place, or to beat before as he's moving up the ladder. But everyone's talking about this guy, so people who are higher ranked are willing to take a chance on him because he's kind of a name that could make it a, a, a decent money fight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like, I like that he's calling those people out. Like Matt said, it's good. I mean, you can see he's on a, a confidence high. And if you're going to go and take that step, that's the time to do it, you know?
3: Dan Hooker, Justin Gage Because who the fuck wants to call out <laughs> Justin Gaethje? Oh.
4: <laughs> that Dude. right there makes me even more of a fan. Uh, the first fight on the, the card, um, the New Zealand kid versus... Uh, I don't have nothing in front of me. Uh, he... he uh, he edged him out, and I like it. What's his name again? Just give it to me, because it's not right. The first fight on the main card.
1: Oh, it was uh, Brad, Brad Riddle, Markhamet. was it? Versus, yep. uh, yes. Magomed. Yes. Say his name again for the fans. Yeah. That was a great fight. What did you say, man? I didn't hear last sentence. I'm say sorry. his
4: name again for the fans.
1: Brad uh, Riddle. Brad Riddle, yeah, versus... Uh,
4: Brad Riddle. Yeah. Let me tell you something, man. I like that fight. He's a, he's a, He's got a few fights in the UFC, doesn't he? I think he's got like four. What did he have in there? Does anybody know? Antonio, get the fucking work. How many fights does he have?
3: Yeah, I don't know. Antonio, he can't hear anything we're saying. Uh, he can't hear you. Well, he well, wants well, you to right. get He wants you to All right, look you up Brad Little.
4: Hey, get off your fucking, what's he playing? Angry Birds? Fuck that shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> let's, we're back. All right, I'm trying to give Brad Little some respect. Nobody else wants to. Not you, Jimmy. Yeah. And not you, Jamie.
3: Yeah, find Brad Riddle on and and just on, how many UFC fights? We're doing
4: a show here, motherfuckers. Then again, I do I'm have Henry. a. Ah, listen, I'm, first of all, let me apologize. <laughs> I haven't trained in a week. I was in Florida. You know, I went to Florida, Jimmy. You no, know? I did not know what. I thought you were. Uh, are you home now or no? Yeah, yeah, I'm home now. I gotta do something at my kid's school. Oh, you did? But, okay, uh, I thought so. All right. I I got home Saturday night, so I watched the fights. Uh, yesterday and the rest I watched this morning. So I just want to give Brad Riddle some uh some props. How many fights does he have, Antonio?
3: How many UFC two fights? Two fights, two and zero oh. oh in the UFC.
4: Antonio, hey, I'm sorry for
1: yelling. He can't hear well, you apologize.
4: I like this kid, man. Yeah, yeah that beast out there in, in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, yeah. said right? You know, you know what was impressive was his defensive wrestling. I mean that guy did, it, did. I mean you know his opponent was was there to put that pressure on, and he's always dangerous. Yeah. And yet he stood in the pocket, and then when he did get taken down, he really didn't do anything with it. He couldn't hold him down. He couldn't keep him on the fence for uh, for any and do any damage. So I thought that and, was impressive.
4: A hundred percent. And the fact that once he got back to his feet, he was able to fire right back, right you know right off and whatnot. That's something. That's something to say for his endurance. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Know?
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah,
3: um, what other fights did you guys like? Uh, I loved uh, uh, Rogério De Lima uh, mm-hmm. over. Uh, let me make sure I can read his name properly. Uh, what the fuck did I just lost? Oh, Sasoli, yeah, Sissoli. Uh and that first round TKO. Uh, Sasoli took some big shots. At, like, I mean, he really took some big shots. I, I'm not surprised he went down. And yeah. considering the pun- the punches he was I'm surprised he didn't go down sooner. Yeah, because he took a few massive shots and stayed up. So maybe he was just more hurt than he looked. Um, but that was uh, that was a tremendous. Uh, Rogério DeLima looked really good.
4: Yeah. Do you guys see any of the prelims, Joe, or no? Uh,
3: I watched some of them. I did not watch all of them. I was on the road doing shows, and I was having a bit of an issue. Uh, I was happy for Angela Hill. Um, not just because yeah, Barney Hill is her absolutely. grandfather, and that's all I'm thinking of lately.
4: <laughs> I was just watching that before, I, before, uh, before you guys called. I was watching that Angela Hill. While you're She's driving? Like, oh, yeah, shit. Matt. Hey, guys, I'm going to talk to you until I pull up to Michael's school. Bring us in. We'll talk to. We'll
3: give
1: an inspirational to speech <laughs> to some of the students. <laughs> yeah. Say
4: hello to my wife. Say oh, I
3: didn't know hey. you were in the car. Hello, how are you?
4: Yeah. <laughs> how are you? It's my Good. better half.
3: I didn't know Miss Sarah was... I'm glad I didn't use any salty language. You see, I always yeah, assume that family's no in the car. No say. salty
4: language. No, no clubs,
3: I there the whole time. Very honey, responsible. If
4: we talk about the blue chew.
3: Yeah, no, no. No blue chew. I, I take it. Matt refuses. He says he doesn't need it. Me, oh, that's that I crush okay, it and I put it into my eyes. Matt doesn't <laughs> use it at all. Okay.
4: Guys, listen to me. I got to go be a husband and a father and a parent.
3: All right. Well, that's have fun.
4: i to cover I will, uh, Jimmy, I'll see you Wednesday, man.
3: All right, buddy. Have a good day. Good talking to you as always. One Bye, more
4: Matt. time, hit the applause button for Jimmy Cruz's fucking Kimura.
3: Which one's the applause? I don't use them unless you're here. Bye, guys. All right, take care, pal. See you soon. Take care, mate. Yeah, Jimmy Kroot looked uh, pretty relentless. Yeah. He looked relentless. Again, you know, that's a lot of energy. Uh, we see how it is in the
1: second, the third. Yeah. But he looked really good. I'm I not to take anything away from that. Um, I didn't see much in terms of resistance, though, from his opponent. He mounted really, relatively easily, and like when he got that Kimura... There wasn't a great deal of uh, educated defense that I could see. Yeah, they
3: said he started. He, the guy, he started to turn, but he couldn't turn uh, uh, enough. And uh, yeah. you saw things he should have been doing.
1: Yeah, like there was, he had space and time to react, and he didn't. So I don't know. You know, I don't know the guy's resume, but it didn't look like he was too uh, comfortable on the floor there. There's
3: nothing striking. Like again, a bad striker is not usually going to beat a good striker. But like you said, a bad striker even who hits hard can knock out a good striker. Yeah, but absolutely. very rarely is a guy who. Is not good on the ground gonna do well on the ground no you know like you know Habib can is not he's a he's a he's a grappler but he can still knock you out oh hell yeah but very rarely are you gonna see a guy like that stand up to someone who's like a you know a brown belt or better on the ground
1: yeah and the the other thing for me is like um, in terms of in terms of the the dimensions of what's going on when when a striker has been grappling it's very hard after a while for you to still have the same pop in your punches your power negate, gets negated, and especially if you are like a like a corner, especially if you rely on that. It's generally that that early part of the fight where you're most likely to hurt people with your punches. Yeah. So if somebody like like when George fought, um, George St Pierre fought. Um, uh, what's his name from Hawaii? <laughs> BJ oh, Penn. Uh, BJ Why did I forget that name? It's embarrassing. Uh, when he fought him for the second time, it was a very different fight strategically. It was smart because he closed uh, BJ down and wrestled him on the fence. And the strategy was to make his arms tight. Yeah. And it worked. And the same with them. Um, you know, it was the same with Connor, you know, when he when he just fought and he got taken down early on. It's like, yeah, you might get back up. But it'll take you a while, and then you'll go down again. You will have to get back up. Did he look good in the third,
3: though? Didn't Connor look really good? Am I, am I, he did. No, you're right. He uh, did.
1: He may have won that. You know.
3: Yeah, he, I think he. But he didn't. Easy.
1: He didn't knock him out, did he? No. And that's my point. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't take a lot for you to take a little bit off, and when you take a bit off, it's harder to get that knockout. And he came out
3: doing. you well, can get me whenever we have her. And when he did something that was not surprising to me, but it was was throwing kicks. Because kind of, I, I said, maybe he's gonna do something interesting that no one expects, like throw kicks because no one, you know, because of the takedown threat. Yeah. Um. But it, it's gotta be really hard to commit to punches to uh, against Habib because one miss and you're against the fence. You know, he ducks yep. and he just pins you against the fence in the corner. It's just awful. Yeah. So, I, you know, you wonder if that if that affects how guys throw punches at him. Yeah, for sure. I hate putting my glasses on like this. It's humiliating. <laughs> I, I look, look at, how, look at how shitty my glasses look. <laughs> I really look stupid. Hi, Megan. Do we have? Hello. How are you? Hello. Good. How are you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm very embarrassed. My glasses are broken, so I have tape on them and they're sitting on my face. I look like a blithering idiot, but I don't always <laughs> look like this.
2: <laughs> no problem.
3: Uh, uh, so where are you now?
2: I am at the gym in Kansas City.
3: Can I ask, how, how did you, uh, what brought you to Kansas City? And how long have you been in the States?
2: I've been here for about four and a half years now. What? Um, uh, I used to be managed by uh, the company that manages James. Uh, I know he just switched over to Iridium, but the people before them. Uh, and so that's how I kind of got connected with Kansas City.
3: What did you do before you fought? I don't think we've ever interviewed you before.
2: I didn't do anything before I fought. I played the piano and cello from like four to 15.
3: <laughs> so what? that's a really interesting jump. Like from such, what people would consider like, a, a, a not, I'm not going to say nerdy, but a, a quiet, soft-spoken, the pianos are gentle and the cello, t- to just choking and kicking people. Like what was the, the <laughs> leap that happened?
2: Yeah. Um, well, it was crazy because I didn't start MMA till I was 23. Uh, so it was good, like a good eight years between when I finished playing and then till I picked up MMA. Uh, it was so funny because my brother was the really athletic one. He used to play rugby union growing up, and like I weirdly just was talking to my parents about this the other day. I was like, Who would have thought I was going to be the athletic one of the family?
3: <laughs> right. What What made you uh, go towards it? What What attracted uh, you to that?
2: Uh, well, I was just always interested in boxing. And uh, I would go to local events back home on the Gold Coast. Uh, I would go with my friends. And I remember we picked up tickets to go to a local MMA uh, fight night. And the person that I picked the tickets up from, he was the gym owner and he was the coach. And I just got to talking to him. And that's kind of like how I first got introduced. He was like, come in, have a try, see if you like it. And that was it pretty much.
3: And what made you give up the other, the piano playing? Did you get bored with it? Were you for it? Like, did you, was it something your parents wanted you to do and you just kind of got stuck doing it? Or did you love it and then just stop loving it?
2: Um, well, I, I played the piano since I was four. Um, so my parents obviously got me sure. into it. And it was something that I really enjoyed. And the cello was like probably from about first or second grade. So I was like six or seven. Um, but it just got to a point, like, I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I was just kind of over it. So I think it was, I was 15 when I, uh, when I stopped playing.
3: Did you think you'd get into bands with that? Like, was it one of those things where you're like, I'm going to do this for a living or is it like, I can't wait to stop this?
2: Yeah. I thought like, I, I, I always wanted to be like a conductor. Um, but did you really? Like, the- yeah. Uh, like, uh, like a, like a orchestra conductor. Um and I was in like a couple orchestras like in back home in Australia, but I I don't know, I I just lost interest in it. And I'm becoming a teenager, wanting to do different things, like kinda it just got old, and I was like, this isn't cool anymore. But it's still cool. <laughs>
3: right, let me ask you about conductors, because I've had issues with them. When you look at the conductors, I always think, like, I'm not even sure if they're necessary, but are they, like, are, do people who play music really look at the conductor? Because they're going up, and they're going down. And I'm like, do, do the musicians not know by the notes? Are you really – is the conductor necessary, or is everybody just being polite?
2: No, I think they really necessary, because, like, when you look at, like, an, like an orchestra, particularly for, like, say, like a movie – like doing like a big production like that, uh you're there are so many different working parts, and like not every instrument is playing at the same time. Like everyone, you know, stops and starts at different times depending on the, the song or or like the, the track that you're playing. And it's so important because not everyone is gonna keep the time the same. So you need that person that's going to be kind of really directing everyone like when they're supposed to start when they're supposed to stop like
3: it, they're very important i feel for an orchestra okay see it shows you how much i know i think you're the first person i've actually <laughs> asked i just kind of went on this assumption and i was wrong i didn't know what i was talking about <laughs> uh when are you heading down to virginia
2: we are heading down tomorrow
3: and and how do you feel you're facing uh Nora dumont who's uh, this is her i believe her first fight in the ufc um and uh, you know you had uh, you, you took a, a, a tough fight against uh, Felicia Spencer. That was her first fight. And you guess you guess somebody's either going to be tremendous their first time, or the jitters are going to get to them. Do you factor that in at all when you're preparing uh, for somebody now who is their first walk in the UFC? Yeah,
2: for, uh, a little bit. But like you said, like everybody is different. Um, I think. I think just depending on people's experience um, and the type of opponents that they've previously faced, we kind of factor that in but uh it's it's kind of I don't know I try not to think too much about my opponents like I'm just there to do my job and to to put my head down and work and we're expecting them to come out amazing and having an amazing performance and, and we're preparing for the best version of them and you know, we'll be ready regardless.
3: Yeah. So you a person, will you obsessively watch tape? Will you watch no tape? Uh, I'm, I'm always interested as to how much studying of the opponent somebody else does. I'm going to guess you don't watch much.
2: (laughs) No. Um, when we first get like the name, uh, we don't, uh, well, like my coach kind of like will watch footage and I'll watch like a little bit, but we find out like my camps are so long. They're like 13 weeks. Um, so like I've kind of, I don't really get in the habit of like obsessively watching film because watching film obsessively for 13 weeks can get like really tedious. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we kind of like have like a really good system on you know watching a little bit of footage like every so often and, and addressing certain things in like our sessions. But uh, for the most part, like a lot of my a lot of my fights, it's not really about my opponent, about me, and, and what I want to do and and implementing my game plan.
3: Uh, why are your camps 13 weeks as opposed to uh, normal length? Is there something you want to do, or did your coaches go? No, we want this to be 13 weeks.
2: No, that's when the UFC, like, that's usually, like, when the UFC come to us, it's usually, like, 13 weeks away. Um, I think of of my five camps that I have had, I think three of them, no, four of them have been around 12 or 13 weeks notice, and one of them was, like, around nine or ten um so like that's not on us that's usually like the ufc coming to us with a name and a date and it's usually like three months away um so it's kind of like it's definitely not by choice
3: what is the shortest camp you would take
2: i would say like six to eight weeks is a is a kind of like a good time time frame it's not too long like you have you have like a good amount of time to kind of ease into camp and then kind of ramp things up and my weight is always really good now so like i don't really get very heavy anymore so it's it's not going to take much for me to to be where i need to be weight wise um so like six to eight weeks would would be nice but like i'm always training like i don't really take like i'll take a little bit after i fight but i don't really take much time off of training for the most part. So like, we're always ready. If if you know, James, we're always ready.
3: Have glory. You know, it's one of those things too, where, where you're, uh, you said your weight, you don't, you don't uh, cut that much. I think that's so much smarter. It just seems like a much easier way to be because there's no way that's healthy for anybody in to, 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 to cut as much as they do just to put on an extra 10 or 12. I'm surprised more people. And it seems like maybe more people are starting to fight at closer at their walk around weight.
2: Yeah. Um, my, like, my body has definitely changed over the course of, like, the almost seven years that I've been doing MMA, so, like, it, it's gone through, like, a vast, varying degrees of weight, and the Kat Zingano fight, where I, they moved us, because it was moved from Vegas to LA, because they, uh, Nevada wasn't going to uh, license John Jones to fight, That's right. so they moved it to LA, so the Thursday morning before the weigh-ins on Friday, they flew us from Vegas to LA and that flight that hurt me bad on the weight cut. Like if you could get PTSD from a weight cut, like I got it. Like I did, my body was just holding so much water. And and after that weight cut, I was like, I can't do these big weight cuts anymore. They just, you know, I'm getting older. Like I'm not, you know, sweating as much. I'm not, I don't want to cut a ridiculous amount of weight. I want to focus on like feeling good and, you know, not having to stress about losing a ridiculous amount of weight in the last, you know, 24 hours before weighing. So that's something that we've kind of adjusted. And my body is kind of adjusted to that too. And like I'm carrying a little bit more muscle and I'm a little bit leaner, but I'm a lot lighter. Uh, but I'm feeling the strongest I've ever felt, uh, which is crazy considering how low my weight's been. So I'm ex- I'm excited because I feel like my camps are less on weight cutting now and they're more on like skill and technique and game planning.
3: So you said the, the the flight messed you up. Is it because you weren't able to do the rituals you normally do and the things you normally do? Or was it because flying sometimes makes you feel swollen and shitty anyway. I very rarely feel great after a, a flight. So was it uh, the, the actual physical flight or the fact that you couldn't do what you needed to do?
2: Yeah, it was like the physical flight. Like When you fly, like it, your body holds water um, because of the the flight, like they're going up and down. I don't I don't know the very specifics <laughs> of it, but uh, like my body for sure held a lot of water. Um, and it, and we were up so early, so I wasn't properly rested. I wasn't able to do like a lot of things to make sure my body wasn't in like a, a non-stress state as it is. Um, so it just, there was like a whole lot of factors going into that. But uh, that's why for my fight, against zara in australia i went out earlier so i wasn't having to cut weight while being on a plane for 24 hours yeah um so i gave myself some time to you know get rid of that bloating uh i could be relaxed for fight week and that was
3: one of the easiest cuts i've ever had and uh you have a tremendous amount of tat what was the first tattoo you got i've never been able to commit to a tattoo i'm too indecisive <laughs> i know i would make bad decisions what was the first one you got um,
2: my first tattoo was on my right foot and it's my Zodiac sign.
3: Now, do you have any that you regret or that you want to cover?
2: No,
4: I've,
2: I'm like one of those type of people that like, like I don't really regret anything. I'm just kind of like, a. Oh, it happened. Not much I could do. Oh. Let's just move on. But like, I don't really have any tattoos that I kind of regret or I want covered up or changed. Like, I feel like I've I have a pretty good tattoo artist. I think he does a phenomenal phenomenal job, and I've loved all of the pieces. Oh, good! So, uh, it's it's been pretty pretty good, and that's that's why I like when people ask me about like, oh, how should I pick a tattoo artist? Like, you should do like a lot of research when you go into picking tattoo artists because that shit's permanent. You don't want to go with somebody that you aren't going to be happy with with the final result for the rest of your life.
3: Yeah, and I understand that it's, they remove them with laser if they have to, but it's probably, it's painful, I hear, and it never gets them 100%, but I, I hear it's a very painful process to have them taken off.
2: Yeah, that, I have not had laser tattoo removal, but from what I hear, it is so painful. And I... Good. I'm.
3: I'm good. Not getting that ever. What, what? Let me ask you. What is the most significant one you have? The most significant one. Is there one that means more to you than any of the other ones?
2: Um. um I would say uh, I have one behind my ear, uh, which is a symbol for life. And I think, like, um, knowing, you know, people who know my story and, and know. What I've been through mental health wise, like that was kind of really important to me, like to have to to get that tattoo as as a reminder of how precious and how beautiful life is and and how we all can can go through ups and downs and we can get through it and, you know, come out for the better and, and do great things.
3: I have a, a pretty good therapist who I like a lot. Isn't it weird how, at times, like when I want to do something self-destructive or shitty, I really will picture my therapist giving me advice. It's like I, he doesn't know that, but he's really valuable. Like, when I picture my therapist telling me, "Like, nah, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't do that," and, and he's in my head all the time.
2: Oh, I I'm the same way. Uh, every time I go to do something or. I don't know, run headfirst into a red flag. I'm just reminded of her just being
3: like, really? We're going to do that? Okay, I see you. The hardest part I've found about that stuff, now that you mentioned it, is stopping a good spiral. Because I love a good spiral. I love to start. Like, it will usually start with I suck. And then I'm just, it's like going down the drain. It picks up momentum and speed and it becomes Mm -hmm. fact. And I'm really difficult to talk to. I, I realize how draining I can be.
2: Yeah, um, it, I feel like everybody is very different when it comes to that, but uh, and they they react differently. But you're 100% right. Like it's so hard learning to identify when you are starting to spiral, and then it's even harder to stop that. And I think like it comes with a a lot of time, a lot of self reflection, and and a lot of growth. Um, and so and it's not easy. It is never easy. But uh, you know getting help is the first step and uh, I think as long as you are identifying it and you realize it's happening, like you're on the right path.
3: And you probably get I know I've gotten them too, when you speak publicly about stuff like this you you, you get people yeah. who send you messages that are actually thankful, like hey thank you, you you normalized something that I felt that was out of my mind but you normalized it a little bit and it made me kind of think about it. Those are always very satisfying messages.
2: I don't ever want to be the type of person that, like, talks about it for attention because it's not my goal. Like, if I, by telling my story, can help just one person, like, then my job is done. Um, I just want to raise awareness for something that is such a taboo subject and there is such a stigma around it, but it is – so important that more people start talking about it um, i have a lot of respect for tyson fury cuz he does the same thing yeah. uh, he's very open about his uh, mental health and and how how he deals with it on a daily basis and you know i think more high profile people that talk about it like the more people are going to start feeling comfortable talking about it and to seek help for themselves
3: yeah and i think the dip, you know it, it's you. Know, you don't at all seem like you're seeking attention for yourself, and and people can sniff that out. You know when 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 people are are doing they're like I've got pain. You know we know who they are, and when people are being genuine, yeah. it's obvious. It's just the feeling you get. You know you can tell. Um, and, and I watched some of what you said, and it felt very genuine. It doesn't at all feel like you're speaking about it for any weird motive other than just to be truthful.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like that. Like you're right. Like you can kind of sift out those people and and like i don't i don't really get like emotional about it anymore and like it, it is a it is a part of my history it is it is a part of my past and my life that happened and i have processed it and i i've dealt with it and i continue to to work on myself and, and work on you know the steps to not spiraling again and to being a better person and a and a healthier person both mentally and physically on a on a daily basis and I think just for me raising awareness for that is is more important than the fear of people judging me because I you know have attempted suicide in the past or I have done you know mental health issues or I deal with anxiety and depression I think you know I was so scared for a long time that people would think lesser of me or think that I am weak because I deal with or have dealt with these things, but, you know, I kind of have gotten to a point where I just don't care anymore. Like if I can help people by telling my story, um, then I'm going to continue to tell my story and, and do as much you know, advocacy and, and, and talking as much about it as I can.
3: Yeah, and a lot of people don't even realize too that the th- the th- the thoughts of suicide. That thought, it can be like this thing that's almost comforting in a way because it's it even if it's in the distance, it feels like a solution. Even if it's a crazy solution, or irrational or a terrible solution, sometimes when things are confusing and it feels like nothing has worked, it feels like all right. Well, there's always that solution down at the end of the road. There's always that, and then you could try to work it out before then. But I've used that very weird that thought, and it's it's an unhealthy one to have. Re-
2: Yeah. And, and I think why people tend to gravitate towards that is because that's something that they can control. Like when their life, when they feel so out of control and, and nothing is going right for them or they feel this way or that way, or they're living in extreme state of anxiety, having that thought of, of doing something, they have 100% control over that. And I think that's why people gravitate towards that. Um, because everything else is like a shit show. Yeah. But I think, you know, it it's just hard because teaching people to to know that like to be comfortable living in, in those type of environments or, or that type of emotional state is okay. And there is nothing wrong with you if you feel this way or you act this way or you have these feelings or you have these thoughts it is, it is perfectly normal it is okay to not be okay and i think that as a society we we tend to think like everyone needs to have their shit together right no <laughs> no one has their shit together when you're being honest about it and i think being real with that and knowing that not everyone has their shit together, and it's okay to not have your shit together, I think can could help a lot of people in that state of, you know, turmoil.
3: Well, Megan, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about this. You're, you're a really yeah. compelling and honest person, and uh, so happy to finally get a chance to interview you and have you on. And, uh, and good luck Saturday. Uh, I think my eyes are so bad. Benavides versus uh, Figueredo uh, in Norfolk. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing your fight against Norma, Norma uh, Dumont. So good luck to you. No problem. Thank you very much. And thanks for talking to us. And we'll hope to get you on again, okay? Thanks a lot, Megan. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good Take one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You too. Oh, very nice person. Yeah, lovely. I always end interviews awkwardly because it's just a time thing. Yeah. But I never know what to say
1: at the end. Like, you basically say, all right, got to end the show. But... She's very nice. Yeah. Really interesting person. You know it was nice as, as well? as. Um, I mean, I don't want to interrupt because you guys were- Oh, gonna, you can always jump back. I, no, but I, I was, don't mean to keep babbling. No, I just no. don't know if you want I just it. genuinely was like, you know, it's important because I feel like I, I haven't experienced those kind of things in the same way. So it's not time for me to speak about that. But I am very impressed when people do, especially because it's not just what you say, but it's what you're doing. You're, sh- you're showing people by example that like, you know, this has happened to me and look where I am now. Like, it's a real example of like, and she mentioned a nice, obviously Tyson is an uh, extreme example. Like, he's just won the World Heavyweight <laughs> sure. title in phenomenal fashion, but he went through a lot of drama to do it. Yes, he did. And it doesn't matter what your drama is. and You don't have to be the world champion. Just keep going. And just keeps, you know, sticking out. And I see that from from people who've achieved things, and they never achieved it easily. But that's extra on top of it. It's not going to be easy anyway. But then you have to deal with other issues that a lot of people don't want to talk about. So when people like yourself or uh, Megan do talk about it, I think it's great because it's you're not just talking about it. You're doing it. You're like, okay, this has happened, but I'm moving forward. And you, you're an example. I think that's really important for people.
3: Yeah, I remember, like I said to my therapist, I'm depressed. I don't know why. And he showed me a photo of myself and he said, This should explain it. I'm like, All right. <laughs> All right, listen. Uh, Jamie, come in more often. And you can come in when Matt and I are here together, too. We, we love having you on. Thank you, Mitch. I will. And uh, you're always that. welcome. Anytime we're interviewing somebody, you're always welcome to ask questions. Don't ever feel like you can't. Okay. Please, we're always happy to have you. Thank you. Um, and, and thank you to Megan Anderson. And, and, and of course, uh, thank you very much, uh, John for uh for calling in John Morgan. It was good talking to you too. I you know MMA Junkie is such a fucking great site. Yeah, very and, insightful. It's a good good spot that. One. Y- yes, it is. And uh and Jamie, what is your your plug? How can people get a hold of you or if they want to train with you over at Henzo's, what do they have to do?
1: Um well, I, it, for me it I just want to plug the academy, it's okay. Henzo Gracie Academy. It's on um, 224 West 30th Street and uh, if you ever want to come by you 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 can take a free lesson and come in and see what Jiu Jitsu or Thai boxing is about oh
3: that's 30th Street okay I was I thought it was like 35th Street I'm glad I didn't go walk around (laughs) looking for Henzos I've been five blocks off well thank you man we're always happy to have you cheers and uh, be back on Wednesday hopefully with other guests and
1: uh, Matt have fun goodbye bye bye